This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, discuss their struggles and their successes, what they've learned along the journey and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is a former professional rugby league player who has tasted success at the highest level. He was part of a grand final winning Newcastle Knights team in his very first season 25 years ago in 1997. And he helped them win the flag again in 2001. But from the highs of playing the game he loved to the ultimate low of a diagnosis of brain cancer in 2013. He's gone on to form his own not-for-profit foundation. He's raised over $24 million for brain cancer research and much, much more. It's my pleasure to welcome Mark Hughes to the conversations that could. Welcome, mate. G'day, Dermy. Yeah, great to chat, mate. Really good. Hughesy or, uh, or, or Mark, what do you prefer? Oh, use is good because I've been called a lot worse, mate. You know, you know what team sports like. I've had plenty of nicknames. It's a rough, it's a rough ground, isn't it? If you've got a few sharp edges, team oh. sport, especially these ones where they, uh, like yours and my old sport, where yeah. they set them up to knock them down. Uh, it's, oh, it's a rough give ground. Them the they take a mile, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nothing compared to the uh, rough ground that you've been through. But let's talk about some of the highs first on the show. You, you uh, came into it. From local-ish boy, yeah? Yeah, sure was, mate. I lived in a place called Curry Curry. Now, have you ever heard of that place? I did when I was doing my research. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, it's just, you might have heard of the vineyards in the in the Hunter Valley. We were yep. just on the edge of that little Curry Curry. And, um, look, we loved our sport. You loved your sport there, especially particularly rugby league and cricket, and that's sort of what I did. And um, grew up probably just under an hour from Newcastle. Um, nice little town and... Not great little upbringing, and um, went. Through, I loved rugby league from 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 six or seven, but didn't get close to the Knights right up until eighteen. So until then, I was just battling away in my local team. I uh, was patient, um, stuck to my guns, and made some good choices, I guess. And um, 
Got a got a chance at nineteen. So I, I've read the bio. You're six one. You when you were playing, you were around the the fourteen and a half stone mark, ninety low ninety kilos, and you've said you weren't the biggest, you weren't the fastest, you weren't the most talented, but you had a good attitude to the sport. Yeah, just I think just like in in life, mate, you've just got to find a way, and um, I had to do that. I was um, you know not not as strong and as big as a lot of the players, but. Um, I used what I had to do my best and, and carve out a career. And, you know, my life it changed really quickly because I went from local league to a first-grade premiership in the space of about 18 months. So it was a crazy ride. And, you know, as I said, no real weight program under me belt, so I was probably a bit off the pace in, in strength <laughs> um, and all that stuff. But I got there and held up a trophy, mate, Um as at the age of 20, um, I was living my dream. We beat Manly. It was a famous grand final. Uh, Darren Albert scored a try on the full-time siren to win it. And, um, yeah, I was up and running as a professional footballer. So in those, I try and convey it to some of my mates who play local footy. The biggest bloke, the best player in the league, not your team, he's what you come up against two or three times in every game in the opposition, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a quantum leap. Huge leap. It was, yeah, like a massive leap. I went from park footy, we trained twice a week. We, we enjoyed a beer and social activity. And I was 18 playing with men, which was a really good learning curve for me. And I was grateful for that. And then when I went down the road to the Knights, boy, it just, it all stepped up. And, you know, you, you're surrounded by... Um, guys that have been doing weights and full-time training and they're at the top of their game, world's best in some cases. So, But you know what? When you, when you surround yourselves with the right people, um, you grow as well. And I certainly did things that I probably shouldn't have due to the fact that I was hanging around some pretty good footballers. Yeah, you say world's best. I'm, I'm tipping you talking about the Johns brothers and one of them in particular uh, was quite extraordinary, wasn't he? Yeah, Joey's probably known nationwide as one of the best rugby league players to ever play the game and um, a great mate of mine. So I was very lucky to have blokes like him and Matty Johns at the start of my career. A guy named Chief Harrigan. Chief. Paul Harrigan. Yeah, what a leader. Amazing, amazing man. And he's to this day, he's a big a big help and supporter of my foundation. Um, so I had some really good senior players to lean on and um, there was quite a good little group of youngsters that were coming through at the time and um, it, was a, it was a good place to, to be a Knights – it was a good time to be a Knights player. I could talk to you all day about your, your career, but we will touch on it. But I'll tell you one thing about Chief. I was there the night at Jack Newton's Pro-Am. They were up at uh, Twin Waters – and there was one little bus to ferry everybody, a couple of hundred guests from the golf club where there was an activity on back to the hotel. And Chief didn't want to wait for the next bus. And out the back of the bus was a caboose, like a cabin with all the golf clubs. And it was sealed. And Chief thought he'd jump on top of that and just hang on and lay on top of it. And anyway, it rode down. He drove down the road, the bus driver, without with no knowledge that Chief was on the back, and it got up to about sixty, seventy-five k per hour. And of course, Chief's got nothing to hang on to, and he just got blown off the back, hit the road, 
and bounced a few times and took all the bark off him. And this was on the opening night before the first round. And Chief never got to play strike another ball. He was out injured before we even started. But that's Chief Harrigan. He got up, dusted himself off and said, yeah, well, it's a story to tell, isn't it? It's just wonderful, (laughs) wonderful people. Idiots, but wonderful people. Well, that's unlike Chief. He's the best decision maker I've ever seen. So this was <laughs> even Don Bradman got a duck, I guess. So um, yeah, that's unlike Chief. So you've been in, in around all these legends, all these people who make all these great decisions. You've gone from park footballer to professional. You've gone from playing locally to lifting up the cup, the most prized award in the world of of rugby league, and then. Just 10 years ago, 2013, you've hit what we'll, we'll have to describe it as the most life-changing moment, day, you know, the news that came to – can you talk us through what happened in 2013? Yeah, sure was, Danny. Um, I was 36 years of age and fit and healthy. I had three children under the age of 10 at the time. Uh, life was great and I had uh, – from nowhere had headaches for a couple of days. Um so my wife said, no, go and get that checked out. I went and saw my local doctor. He, How quick he was, did they come on? How quick did the headaches come on? It just come on one morning. I just all of a sudden had this headache. No no, no little um, before that. It was just one morning. And um, my wife thought it was a bit strange, and I just thought this might be a migraine or something. So I, I went to the doctors, and he definitely straight away, he didn't tell me at the time, but he told me later on he was worried. So I went and got a scan. And from that point, life changed. Um, uh, there was an avocado-sized tumour in my brain. Um, Out the, on the back, on the posterior, wasn't it? That's the back part here. Yep. So I had to wait a couple of weeks into John Hunter Hospital, removed, um, got it removed, and I was, I was sort of hopeful and I'm always a positive guy. So I, don't, I think it was surreal. I don't, I don't think I felt that I was in too much trouble. I didn't realise the, the depths of it. But a week later, I went, me and Kira Lee walked into our doctor's surgery and sat down and the doctor said, oh, I'm sorry, Mark, you know, you've got high-grade brain cancer. It was simple words. You just straight laid it on the table. And um, there's no cure for brain cancer. You know, brain cancer kills more people 40 and under than any other disease. And there I was, uh, fit and healthy, or so I thought, and um, delivered this devastating news. Because from what I can glean, uh, you, you go down Merriweather, you go to the beach there and you run and you, you're active and, and you were the precisely an, an abnormally fit 36-year-old man. Yeah, and that's the thing about brain cancer. It, it sneaks up on you and, you know, there's not – it's not something you've eaten or, you know, it's, it just happens. Um, and, you know, you might have a seizure, you might have headaches – um, they're the type of warning things that will just creep up on you and then before you know it, um, you're having surgery to remove a tumour. Can you tell us about the moment you and Kiralee, you mentioned the doctor, I, I can remember, recall nothing, nothing like what you've just described to us then, but when a doctor once said to me, you know, your career's over because of this injury, he just went, that'll do. That's That was his words. That, that'll yeah. do. That'll do. Yep, you're done now. And it was so blunt 
and yes. in your face. Tell us about the bluntness of that. What were you expecting? Did Kira Lee hold your hand? What What was that moment like where your life's dream of, of, of growing old with a beautiful family, you, you've just had it look right. very, very shaky? Well, yeah, I, I mean, you probably would like them to sugarcoat it a little bit, but I guess they just have to give you the facts and do their job. And um, it was it was devastating, you know. We, obviously, you just straight away think the worst. Um, we then went to another specialist and uh, about some of our treatments and stuff, and his messaging was probably worse. So we went to Sydney and found some specialists down there, and they – they flipped it and turned it and gave us some really good hope, and that we really cling to that. And that 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 was the start of my fight back. I feel because it sort of I had a little bit of sunshine there to say that um, you know there is some hope that I can still live a life here. So um, yeah, it's a you know we, we've brought brain cancer care nurses uh, right across regional New South Wales for our charity, and they do that now. They they come into your meetings with you. They set your meetings up. They explain things better. Because from Kiralee and I, we were lost. They use these big words in brain cancer. I mean, we've had our brain cut open and operated on, and they use all these crazy words to, to I call it. And I can't even read them or know what they, they mean. But um, so now our nurses help a little help a lot of people with that type of stuff. So as a a former professional footballer, you roll your ankle, you hurt your knee, you dislocate an elbow, you strain your shoulder. You go to a person who's specialised in that and they identify it and in in common vernacular, they let you know what happens and then they put you through the process of rehabilitation. How does the process different, differ? And, and you've just mentioned the, the terminology you couldn't even understand how I'm looking for a different description, but how user friendly is it for somebody who's been through what you have? Well, I go to Royal North Shore in Sydney, and they—that's all they do is specialise on brain cancer in this section. So they live and breathe it. Whereas a lot of regional areas, they won't live and breathe brain cancer. They'll be doing other brain can- other cancers as well. Yeah, and they don't specialise in it. And I feel like this is such a tough complicated disease you need the best and just like you mate when you we would go get the best to do our knee reconstructions you know you the best doctor we'd go to sydney to do that all that stuff well i just knew i wanted the best people around me because i was in the fight of my life here and um the stakes were too high i wasn't trying to get back on the paddock to play us to chase a bit of pigskin around this is the stakes were much more higher so I, i needed the best and um they and i'm so grateful i did that I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest is Mark Hughes. This is The Conversations That Could. So kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A Dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton and tonight our guest is Mark Hughes. He's a former NRL player and co-founder of the Mark Hughes Foundation, a health promotion charity that has raised a remarkable $24 million since 2014. They've raised that for critical brain cancer research. And incidentally, brain cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in children and adults aged under 40 in Australia. Yet alarmingly, very little is known about brain cancer, its causes or how it is treated. 
So you're a thirty-six year old man. You've got three beautiful kids. You got your loving wife. Did you allow yourself to think, how do I care for my loved ones if I'm not here? Yeah, look, the first month when it was raw, um, I found myself going for walks on my own just to clear my head and doing some really tough things like thinking about milestones and birthdays and all this and that, that I might need to do recording for. It was not really good thoughts. Like it's it's not healthy. So I started to realise that um, our thoughts are very important. I was always pretty strong-minded and um, – you know, mentally pretty tough. So I decided that I had to control my thoughts a lot more because these these crazy wavering thoughts weren't doing me any good. And the thing is, if you constantly think negative, you become that negative person. Likewise, if you're positive and strong and, and, and funny, you're also that, you're that person. So you become your thoughts in a lot of ways. So I think people need to think about what they're thinking about because – if you're constantly negative and down, you become that person. And I couldn't become that person. I was the leader of my family. I just launched a foundation or I was about to launch a foundation, so I needed I needed strong, positive thoughts. We'll talk about the foundation in a couple of moments' time. But So you progress from there. The next step is they take you in and they're going to, gee, they're going to really slice open the back of your head and, and, and get into this cancer. Uh, and we hear of people saying, gee, they had a fight on their hands. How do you fight? Well, I got the surgery and then I realised I needed uh, my treatments, so I had to get straight into radiation therapy. Uh, I had 33 sessions uh, down the central coast, so that was about a 45-minute drive. So I, w- I wasn't able to drive for a year or two, so I got um, my mates and family to drive me and that was a good time to catch up with, with friends and talk and I would go on the um, – get get my um, radiation done. Then I'd come home and then I had a former teammate of mine and we'd go down the park, we'd do some run-throughs, we'd go to the ocean bars, we'd swim. I took up yoga. Was that Danny Baderas? Uh, ben, Ben's is, yeah, best mate of mine. And yep. um, he did – yeah, he, he lives close by. And he wasn't so much him at that time. Yep. There was another mate, a guy named Ben Kennedy, who was a really yes. nice legend. Yep. So I was lucky to have him to do that. And I wanted to do that because the average person probably wouldn't do that. So I guess um, the ex-sportsman in me, I needed to get back on the paddock. So I needed to do whatever it took to get – to get myself right. So I felt doing these things that other people probably wouldn't might give me a better diagnosis, a better, a better chance. So that's, that's what it did. So we hear of so many um, operations and doctors say, right, you, you cannot rest enough. Do little, do very little, and then halve that what you think you're going to do in very little. But you went out and had a run. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was doing run-throughs. I was swimming. Yeah, I've always been fit and like that, enjoyed that stuff, and I just felt I needed to keep moving and and uh, you know just keep keep going. You know, I didn't want to stop and sit around and think about it too much. And it was it was a really good thing to do. And I know everyone goes different under the radiation and that, and they might, might get crook or sick. And but for me, that was just how I chose to chose to start my fight back. When you wake up after the operation, how long was it? Incidentally, did they tell you? Um, I can't remember exactly how long, but I remember I went in, it was a Friday night and I think I, you know, early hours of Saturday morning and I was, I was vomiting and sick and 
I had um, really bad visual problems. So in my ward, my phone was like going off and Kira Lee's hair was going through the room and the curtains were moving. It was like a – and I'd close my eyes and there's this cartoons – um, picture story going on. It was quite a crazy. So you were full on hallucinating. Yes. Yes. I'll close my eyes and this 3D cartoon was happening. So I don't know. It was a con. I think it was a combination of um, the medications I was on, and also my brain, because it had been pressure where the tumor was. It was. It was maybe stretching back out to get back a bit normal because it had. It, it had a tumor in there. Um. So for a, for a good three or four days, I was having really big problems with my my my, my vision. So when they because they the access is to from the back of your head, did were you able to sleep on your back with your on on your head? Was that okay? Yeah, I slept okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, was, I had a lot of medication and um, there was a bit of vomiting and all those things that you do when you're in hospital and you're sick. But um, no, I was looked after really well up at John Hunter Hospital and. Um, Got through it. Nothing like yourself, but every time I've been operated on, I wake up and go, oh, here I go again. Why do I have to suffer this? I'd imagine if you know and you can recall that you've just had half your brain <laughs> cut out, there must be some real why me moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, for the, I, it was surreal. I didn't think – I didn't really feel like it was happening to me and I – I felt like it was just going to be a tumour and get removed and I wouldn't have cancer and I'd just get on with life. Um, that's just the way I've always been, pretty positive. Um, but, you know, five or six days later, the reality did kick in. How were you when you got your head around it that you said, this is my lot, I've been dealt this, I've got to deal with this now and I can succumb to it and I can have those negative thoughts and drown in them? Or I can fight back for myself, my family, and be an inspiration to others. Yeah, well, they give you readings um, with the chairmen back then. So they were saying, we're hoping it's a level one or two, um, and you don't want level three or four. Um, so I thought, okay, great, I'll get a one or a two, and we'll just get on with life. And then, of course, everything come out, and they said, oh, you know, you're grade three with, with snippets of four. Um, so straight away I've gone, oh, well, that's, you know, that's horrendous. But, um, yeah, I think um, I think the charity played a good part in, in me staying positive because we were talking about that in the recovery ward and it was a good positive thing for my family to focus on. And um, I do feel like helping others has been a big part in keeping me so positive. Can I, can I ask you then, it, it, when did you formulate the charity. Can you give us the timeline between diagnosis, formulating the charity, implementing the charity, and and the operation, and obviously the ongoing um, uh, radiation sessions? Because it seems like, from what I'm hearing, trying to put the timeline together, that you were inspired to work for the charity during your uh, yeah. convalescing. Yes, yes. Um, so August 2013, surgery. I think it would have been March, April um, 2014, so four or five months later. We did the launch. Chief Harrigan was our MC and the foundation was born. I still would have been in my treatments and I did have people saying, can you just focus on yourself and just slow down? But I just felt that this was the right thing to do and 
that's how that's what we did. So you had how how long were the treatments ongoing for? We had thirty three radiation sessions to get through, so got it every day, and then um, six months of chemotherapy, which um, which was done via tablets. Not, not, so yeah, and I got through it pretty well, to be fair. Yeah. Did they? Did, I, I, so I should ask you: Are you comfortable talking about this? Yes. Um. No. Definitely. Um. It's just what I've chose to do. I mean, I'm, I, I brought it to the spotlight, brain cancer, and yeah, I've just got to do that. And at times, it can wear you down a bit, and um, especially when I meet people that are going through it and don't have the don't have the luck that I'm having. Um, it's, it can be devastating. But um, Dermy, I'm here for a reason now, and we've got to find an answer to brain cancer, and I've got to talk my way through it. So, for the average person who doesn't know it, and thank God they don't know what it's like, the radiation sessions, the chemotherapy, after you have that consultation, the moment after, the hours after, the days after. What does it do to you? How do you feel? Can you can you fill us in on the blank that thankfully, ninety nine percent of us do not really know, and hopefully we never have to know. Yeah. So at the end of the treatments, there's relief. Um, you just I'd have to put four tablets or five tablets, big tablets, into my body of chemotherapy. Um, I think for a week, the first week of every month for six months. And doing that, you're just wondering what you're putting into your body and what, what damage is it doing. But then also you're really hopeful that it's killing the nasties in there for you. And brain cancer is really tough. You know, you the, the word remission doesn't really get used. Um, you know, like I said, there's no cure. You don't, no one shakes your hand and says, you know, off you go. We won't see you again. So it's a tough, it's a tough road. So I was just, I was very grateful to get through these treatments. Um, then I'd be, I just went into a, a three-month scan system. Every three months, I was getting scans. So I just, um, that's how I was living life. Just, you know, and obviously your family get a bit worked up when your scans coming and all that stuff. And you're the one who calms them down. Yet you're the one going through it. Yeah, well, uh, mate, it's like you sort of, you, you, you in some ways, I'm, I'm great. You're grateful that. It's you and not your family, you know. We're, we're tough old fellas. You're, you're sort of like old cattle dogs and you just you take it, you know. So I'm, I'm wearing the brunt of it and I can I can handle it. Yeah, I've been called a shih tzu many, many times. <laughs> Hardly a cattle dog. Hey, tell us, uh, you touched on it before. Uh, uh, the Newey boys, they are a different breed and they, they, they there's a real badge of honour about coming from Newcastle. I, as I've told you before, yes. I, I know... Clint Newton and and yep. a few of the lads from up there, they're, they're just a different breed and they love being united in a cause. Uh, you've mentioned the, the, the charity foundation, that bonded you, that bonded you to other people. But some of your ex-teammates, from what I've read, the endeavour, the, the love they put into you as well in... Uh, uh, post-surgery and still to this day, it's inspiring. It is, mate. It's been amazing, the support of my former teammates. Um, two good, great mates, Billy Peden and Paul Harrigan, they decided we needed to do challenges. We needed to challenge ourselves um, and raise money for the foundation. So we decided the first one to be Kokoda. Um, we took 18 people and what we did, we we also we rode mountain bikes over there for 100Ks in the heat 
Then we did the Kokoda Trail. You idiots. And then, then we did another 20K bike ride. It was a huge effort. We had 18 people and we raised 150000 wow. And we thought, wow, we're on to something special here because back into that team camaraderie environment, we're in the trenches together again. And, and we're bringing other people into our circle and they have it's, it's life-changing for them. So we're going, this is a great concept. So we, we went bang and we went to base camp Mount Everest we took 28 people, Matty Johns, Steve Menzies, a couple of old footy types. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, they came along, um, plus heaps of old teammates and just good people, um, and we raised 500000 Then we went to Borneo, a place called the Borneo, where they did the Death March. It's a history thing there. We fell on. Kanchanaburi. Yeah, all there. So I did that. That was amazing. Then we went to Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Wow, that's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Um, 6,000 metres above sea level. Um, we had Trent Robinson, the Roosters coach, come with us. He was sensational. What a man. What a leader. And, and I gather, you know, all, all your all your boys are in it and they you find ways to get sponsored and contribute yeah. financially to, to the foundation. And then I'd imagine there'd be, you know, some high net worth individuals say, well, I'd love to go and do this. So they pay and and contribute to the charity as well. What an experience for them to hear yours, Chief Harrigan's and, and the uh, Steve Menzies, these emotionally and mentally tough people talk about the next foot footstep going up a hill in Kilimanjaro or, or, or going up the Kokoda track. To hear their thoughts, that's a lifetime experience for them as well. It's unbelievable, mate. And the last night in Kilimanjaro at 11 p.m. we left our campsite. It was raining. It was freezing. You won't believe the conditions. And Trent Robinson pulled the group in before we left and said, it's game day and we just simply we, we, we find a way. Game day, we don't lose. No matter what comes at us tonight, we're going to get to the top. And everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. And um, Betsy was on that trip and so many others. And we 11 p.m. we left. At 10 a.m., 9 a.m., we got up the top, walking all night. The condition's horrendous. And anyway, we get to the top, you have 10 minutes to get a photo and then you've got to start getting back down because it's so high and so dangerous. But we got there and, you know, it was special. And um, we did um, Darwin this year on, on no one's road Kakadu on push bikes. We did. We had 400 k's in searing heat through crocodile-infested waters. We did a lot. <laughs> and um, uh, that was just amazing. I had all my mates there. We had 33 of us. We raised 700000 it's just, and yeah, you're right. We sit around the campfire at night and we tell stories and we conduct interviews with personalities and we hear hear about the accountant and the guy that works in the mine and what, you know, it's, no, you've got to come on one. They're amazing. When's your next one? <laughs> it sounds uh, I reckon good. next October we'll do another place over in um, base, around base camp Mount Everest. It's um, Nepal's an amazing place. All right. Count me in. I count you, mate. Okay. Sounds yeah. like fun. Sounds. I mean, so that's something that that's the great side of what you've had to go through is your ability now to turn it into a positive and give to other people. Yeah, like it's it's special to bring these people together. Most of them, not many people do one trek. Once they once they're on, they're on. They just come all the time. And someone will raise 5,000, someone will raise 30, someone will raise 15. They're all just out doing their best. They have a, a big um, piss-up in their backyard. They have a 
You know, they do all these different things to scrap and to get the money. It's amazing. And, yeah, like we just look back on them as some of the best things that we've done in our lives. And, um, yeah, it's just things you don't forget. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest is Mark Hughes. This is The Conversations That Could. So kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest is Mark Hughes. This is The Conversations That Could. So kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? So, Husey, the mindset that it took to play professional sport, that, that must have played an enormous role in uh, your recovery, your ability to process information. You've mentioned you didn't – you actually fought the feelings of feeling down on yourself. Yeah, no doubt about it. That sporting environment where you get yourself ready to play, you play on a weekend, then you dust yourself off and you get, ready, get yourself ready to do it again, week in, week out. And you do whatever it takes to, to, to make that three o'clock kickoff on a Sunday afternoon. So for me, um, having done that for 10 or 15 years, I just, felt, I just felt that was what I was doing. I was just getting myself right again. I wanted to look and feel good so that when I see people, they don't see, pull me up on the street and say, oh, g'day, Yizzy, um, oh, you look like shit. How long, you know? <laughs> I wanted them to say, I wanted them to say, Mate, you look good. And I felt like sometimes people were disappointed when they saw me because I was so healthy and fit. <laughs> like, oh, you're not sick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to disappoint you. I'm hanging around for a while. Oh, yeah. So we hear so often, you know, some tragic stories and everybody's story down this path is is tragic in its own way. But this is for for Melbourne and South Australians who we who we uh, and West Australians who we are not all that au fait with rugby league. You weren't just sneaking into the profession. I mean, we can talk about uh, New Zealanders. To say you're an All Black is the highest honour you can get in New Zealand. Uh, unwritten. Uh, to say you've got the baggy green in Australia as a cricketer, it's the highest honour you can have. To me, from what I can sincerely work out the highest honour that a rugby leaguer can can say is that he's a, he's an origin player. You've played origin. You were yeah. a regular origin player. What, you play three, I think, as a full, yeah, uh, full back? I, I played three games, um, and then I like to tell people I retired from representative rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it was amazing. Um, what a cauldron. What, you know, just up in Queensland – 50,000 Queenslanders yelling and screaming. And um, we went in one all and the third game we got beat. But I was so proud and, and grateful to be involved in Origin and something that I, you know, today I'm yeah very glad and appreciative that I got that opportunity. You know you, know you like stole State of Origin off us, don't you? Uh, did you guys have it first? Yeah, yeah, we had it first and then we we, we didn't give two hoots it. about it in the end. <laughs> you blokes <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, we love it. It's, 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 you know, it's so unique. Um, and, yeah, like you say, there's probably not that, that type of rivalry in, in any other sport in Australia, so it's it's special. It's, it, it's just watching those. So this is the fan in me coming out now. Um, they're brutal. They are just brutal, those games. And it's almost as if the umpire says, all right, I'm changing my uh, adjudications today to, to, or tonight to cater for brutality. You can all have a crack at it, all right? 
Yeah, like um, amazing athletes um, who are they're achieving a, a lifelong ambition to play in the maroon jersey or the blue jersey, and you've just got thirty odd blokes that don't want to give an inch for their they want to they want to win for their state, and it it makes for amazing viewing. That's that's for sure. Tell us why do they why do uh, the Queenslanders win more often than not with 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 a lesser population? Yeah, I can't answer that one, mate. We 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 thought we were going to win this year, but we didn't. Um, so you I knocked them around um, early. They just what's that? You not you guys knocked them around early. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a funny series, but um, yeah, we didn't get there. So uh, that's always next year, which is the good thing in sport. What age were you when you had played your first uh, first game with, with the Knights? Uh, Twenty. So um, that was a uh, nineteen ninety seven. So. About my 12th game was a grand final. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was a youngster and just loving life and um, living off every word of the senior players, same as what you would have done. And yep. um, just made my way through the grade, yeah. And in the research, I'm seeing that you scored a try in your first outing. So you've you've come in, you're playing with some legends and you've gone over the line in your first senior game. You must have thought, how long has this been going on? Yeah, yeah, it was a special feeling. I remember my curry mates meeting me that night and we went out and celebrated and, yeah, it was special in my family. So, um, yeah, I look back on great times, you know. I don't talk as much footy these days because um, just with the impact of the foundation, it's all about the charity, which is um, a nice thing, but it's always nice to relive a few memories as well. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest is Mark Hughes. This is The Conversations That Could. So kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a Dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton and tonight our guest is Mark Hughes. He's a former NRL player and co-founder of the Mark Hughes Foundation, a health promotion charity that has raised a remarkable $24 million since 2014. They've raised that for critical brain cancer research. So Hughes, clearly fitness in your mind, fitness in your body is paramount for you these days. And uh, uh, you have your uh, a business you've set up and has, has benefited you no end. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like I love being around people. I love teamwork and um, started um, with air locker training. Um, so I guess it's like the, the other group training facilities that are around. But what we do, um, we change the air, our oxygen levels in the air in the room. So instead of 21% oxygen, you'll be breathing 13 or 14%. So your body will work much harder and you'll do less. So it's a really amazing thing. Um, we've got these uh, places going up around Australia now. And um, I train five or six times a week. And it's been a huge part of me feeling great. Um, and it helps with my my gratitude, um, my resilience because I'm in there and I'm training and I'm feeling really good. And it's, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful thing. We've got them coming around Australia, so so look out for our locker training. Keep an eye out for it before I go to Kilimanjaro with you. Yep. Hey, yeah. hey uh, tell us, when you do meet people and you said, you touched on it before, they say, geez, you, you look all right. You, you, you're not what we thought you'd be. Yeah. There must have been people that, who constantly ask, are you okay, similarly? Yeah, there's a lot of people that care for me and um, 
I go down the street, people ask, how you going? People have got, some people have got better ways than other. Others have gone about it. One bloke, some people, a lot of people will go, how's your head or how's your melon or, you know, and all that. I go, good, how's your head? You know, and, um, but um, people care and it's important. And I know, um, are you okay, Dane, and things like that. It's important to check up on friends and family and it's important to talk and not, not hold things in. And I feel like it's very important for me to surround yourself with the right friends, with the family. And if... If there's friends that are toxic in your life, you've got to you've got to make the call and, and change change some things. Because if you don't change your choices in life, nothing changes. So if you're not happy with something, you need to make some changes. Have you found there's a right way or a wrong way to ask somebody if they're okay, or or is it you can see that they're genuine and and it doesn't matter really which way they ask as long as they're genuine? I think so, but I mean, sometimes I know people mean well, but they'll sort of dig their head in in front of all your kids and, and, and want to go into some conversation. Yeah, right. yeah, you've got to be a bit – don't put people on notice, you know. Do it in the right manner where pull them aside, take them for a coffee, um, one-on-one. Don't do it in a group environment. I think it's um, it just adds a bit of um, – for people it's a bit more embarrassing to be talking in front of a group. So before we let you go, tell us about the uh, MHF, Mark Hughes uh, um, Foundation, what you've done. We, we have been so uh, inspired down here by uh, Neil Danaher and his fight, MND. And little known to us Victorians that at the same time, you've been doing the NRL beanie for brain cancer and you've got a whole round dedicated to it and you've raised millions through through your beanies up north. Sure have, mate. And, yeah, I, I have full admiration for what I see with, with um, Neil's Neil. charity and love seeing that. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I had beanies in my rehab um, and decided beanies and brain cancer would go really well together. And that's how it started. And we had school kids um, wearing them to school and bring their $2 coin. And then we decided to design beanies. And then NRL got involved. And then it just went, we got Lowe's Australia selling them everywhere. And, um, yeah, and it's just it's just snowballed. And the NRL beanie for brain cancer around is enormous, um, you know, and we're so proud and grateful of that. And it helps us because... You know, we've got a lot of research to do. No one's cracked the answers to this thing. We need answers um, and we need them fast. So the Mark Hughes Foundation Brain Cancer Centre at the Newcastle Uni has now been done and we've got a lot of um, a lot of um, brain cancer researchers in there as we have right across Australia. So we're going to find an answer to this thing, mate. So www.markhughesfoundation.com.au for more information there. Hughesy, pardon me, but you're a bloody inspiration and darn good bloke and I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Next time we catch up, we'll just chat about your career and nothing but your career. How's that sound? I'd love to catch up, mate, anytime, Jamie. It's been great to chat, mate. I really appreciate all the support. Good luck. Thanks, mate. Mark Hughes, Hughesy, this is the Conversations That Could. Kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? If you'd like to catch up on an episode you've missed or share it with a friend, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversations That Could, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Breton and we'll be back next week and we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? Thanks for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Breton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it.
but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? 